0: Get iXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off iXL membership when they sign up today at iXL.com audio. Visit iXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Erdara, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. Joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. On today's episode, we have a news update for everybody. There's a ton to chat about. We've got free agency chatter, uh, coaches who are resigning, uh, national champions for the NCAA. There's a lot. So before we get into everything, I just want to let everybody uh, know that uh, you can go download, follow, and listen to us wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe to us on YouTube, so you never miss out whenever we go live. Leave us a five star rating and review if you listen as a podcast, and uh, you know we'll go ahead and and make sure that we answer your question as part of a mailbag segment. So.
3: Uh, you know, I'm okay. sure maybe, maybe maybe folks will have questions <laughs> after this
2: episode because there's so much to talk about, Lisa.
3: I know there is a lot going on. Um, so much has happened. Uh, we just jumped on and we were chatting off mic about how oh, I miss you. We had to like catch up a little bit. We we talk occasionally in between these episodes, but then we really get to dive in and, and chat on here. And we don't like to give too much away because we want our conversation on here to be as the first time we're having it so often. Uh, but there is so much happening, so much happening. Um, it's fantastic. I'm excited about it to dive in with you.
2: I uh, I know folks have been keeping an eye on on the World Cup. Right. So we just want to say that we, too, were part of that. As as two people who are with CBS Sports, uh, we've been keeping uh, an eye on all things uh, Men's World Cup. And the United States uh, men's national team went ahead and made it to the round of 16. Um, they suffered a 3 one defeat against the Netherlands, and they are officially out of the World Cup. But we were really excited to sort of watch this and kind of root for them, kind of... Uh, on a three for like a number of reasons and got to see all of the, the really cool enthusiasm, um, from so many on the United States women's national team who have been watching and following along as well. All of the reporting coming out, um, and reminding folks, really, because this was all in the the CBA, this this dual CBA that the two national teams signed, both the men's team and the women's team, about equal pay and how this is going to come to light and how it's going to work. And so all of the excellent, uh, refreshing, and reminding and reporting out there that's out there by by Lizzie Gibbs and, and Rachel Bachman about uh, you know the the women getting some of the prize money as well um, based on based on the, the men's finish. So I think uh, it was a fun time, sort of see that it was fun to root for, mm-hmm. for bonuses a little bit. I know folks out there were, were finding themselves, uh, you know, kind of watching these games and maybe they didn't anticipate initially, um, but congratulations to them. And we're on the clock now, Lisa, we're yeah. watching, we're on the clock. It's, it's less than 300 days before the 2023 world cup now.
3: I love that countdown. Um, Yeah, we are, uh, we are ready for the world cup 2023, but I think that's so um exciting to to kind of talk about and think about that the US women's team um get a bonus because of this and yeah there is a point where you're cheering for the money and cheering for that because I I was always cheering for the US men's national team but then it's just that much sweeter because you think back in the the US women um they won the 2015 and the 2019 World Cups and that was 6 million dollars now they get 6.5 million Minimum for what they went through. It's uh, for the men. And that's what the women get like this. It's so good. It's so well deserved. And now the women are next. Uh, we are no our social for attacking third was kind of pushing that out there as well. Like, hey, guys, don't don't fall asleep yet on the US because the women are coming up in in seven months, eight months at this point is when everything will be kicking off.
2: Yeah, I can't uh, I can't wait. I know we've been already doing some some teasers and some early World Cup content on our end. We're going to continue to do that as well. But we've got to keep an eye on NWSL offseason as well because that's of course we should know that soccer never sleeps and even if it's off season uh, there's always going to be some things to to chatter about. We're going to dip into the the news portion of this some things that have broken over the last week. We have a coach resignation that we need to talk about a little bit uh, especially if folks have been very occupied with things like the World Cup or otherwise and maybe you might have missed this on your radar but Portland Thorns head coach Irene Wilkinson resigned and this is just about a month after winning the NWSL championship uh, made an announcement via her social media, Uh, long, lengthy note letter uh, sort of talking about the details of the reasoning for her resignation. Additional uh, reporting by Meg Lenahan and The Athletic on December 2nd. Um, Getting into some more details uh, about everything. Um, There was an investigation that took place and the decision came uh, after Wilkinson was investigated and ultimately cleared by the NWSL and NWSLPA joint investigation uh, team. There was concern about her conduct as a head coach and uh, conduct that she ultimately reported to Portland's HR and within that um, saying that there was uh, no evidence of coercion, abuse or a power imbalance or any other misconduct that was found and that ultimately no league or team policies were violated. And I think this area is where there's some grayness, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think for folks who were sort of, um, Taking in all the additional details, the the additional reporting out uh, of the athletic, and then sort of taking a look at what was in front of them, whether it was the release from the Portland Thorns or the personal statement from uh, Wilkinson, but uh, details within the reporting saying that there was um, an expression of, of mutual personal feelings between player and coach, and uh, within that is an automatic um, power and power imbalance. And I think this is where um, you know Wilkinson had mentioned in terms of losing the, the locker room; tough to get that back if if players feel that there was uh, a boundary or a line that that was that was crossed. So one year. With the Portland Thorns and led them to the 2022 NWSL Championship and um, I don't know I think in terms of next steps Lisa I'm curious if, if, if Wilkinson um, you know makes a, another leap to a, another team what does that look like because when we saw this news drop and as we were sort of reacting to it even just to each other mm-hmm. messages um, you know something that stood out I think for the both of us was the fact that there wasn't um because of the investigation kind of clearing any wrongdoing that there's no there's not an extra consequence that perhaps that we've seen over the course of the last year where there's no like sort of banishment like no one's barred from you know, pursuing work or in the NWSL that that type of consequence doesn't exist. Whereas maybe we saw something like that come out of uh, the Richie Burke investigation, um, the Cromwell and Green investigation. Um, so I'm curious as to, to see, you know, uh, Wilkinson and in, in her place in, in NWSL in the future.
3: Yeah. I think that's a big question mark at this point because uh, right. Like Wilkinson's resignation had n- essentially nothing to do w- with the results of the investigation, because she was cleared, there was no foul play, there was nothing wrong. But the fact that she lost confidence in the team because of that, she knew that she could never coach again at Portland with this group of players. So I think that that's also something that comes into play. I mean, this story, there are a million different layers to it, to be honest. So I think that her leaving Portland um, and her resignation in the way that it happened still leaves the door open. To other opportunities in the league. I'm going to be honest. I think that it does with what she, how she handled the situation. Um, her and the player went to HR, they did an investigation and everything was uh, found out to be okay, but that that still proves to be a power imbalance or whatever it may be. And other players didn't feel comfortable with that. So she decided to step away. Now, how she takes to do that in other leagues or in other uh, places in the nwsl other coaching opportunities um i i can't imagine that she'll take a step back not not down the, the corporate ladder but a step back in terms of she was a head coach right like a head coach in the nwsl and ends up winning an nwsl championship so she's got that on her resume and i i i imagine some of the brighter things on her resume outshine. Um, this in, in which there wasn't protocol for what to do when player and coach and there are mutual feelings expressed between the two and, and kind of how that goes about. Because between Rian Wilkinson and, and player defender for Portland Thorns, Emily Mangus, um, they both went to HR at, at the time. We're not entirely sure this was happening in mid-October. And then they went to HR and they submitted emails and text messages for this investigation to to kind of say that where their situation was um, to make sure there was, was no lines crossed and everything uh, was kosher. And to, so to say, um, and the fact that it was, and there was no results of that, but the fact that she knew she had to resign. Um, I mean, there's just so many different layers of it, even in Meg Linehan's article by the athletic uh, Renee Wilkinson saying that she told uh, club staff members that she was planning to stay on and, they felt uncomfortable maybe they should move on so like that's also something that like adds a a layer Mm -hmm. of this into it like how now are the players around you and the people you work with around you feeling about this it's so layered but it it opens another coaching vacancy in the nwsl for a, a very prolific team in portland thorns that are coming off of their third nwsl championship um they've Resign some incredible players there's still a lot of positives at portland but this also falls at the same time when portland thorns is under a bit of stress as a club with their ownership and following the yates reports because paul riley was a former coach at portland i mean it's portland has been in our, our mouths and the conversation of the news yeah. constantly for yeah. what feels like a year and a half now
2: yeah it's been um it's been a pretty headline dominating couple of years right for for this franchise and i, I would uh, i would imagine that for players it, it hasn't these last two seasons haven't been uh easy seasons to navigate by any means and to sort of look at how they kind of cap things off in in 2022 um maybe sort of having the the feeling as if it, Maybe it feels like, yes, there are things burning around this franchise, but uh, perhaps, you know, the players who are on the pitch, the players who are competing together with each other for for titles, that uh, appears to to be, you know, what I think folks were trying to, to rally behind and then to sort of, you know, get the additional reporting that, that came out and sort of see or read the things that, that kind of came to light. And, you know, with Wilkinson saying, like, ultimately the locker room is – lost you can't get that back and they as a con it, you know maybe there wasn't a consequence coming out of these joint investigations but there was a consequence coming all the locker room and these players saying we're asking we're asking you for your resignation and, and wilkinson saying okay here it is here it is i have to do that um so um it's it's december i still i keep having to remind myself of that it's it's december of, of 2022 and um there's still some off season to go for this league. Um, and I know there were a certain number of coaching vacancies going into the, the NWSL off season. And I'm curious, is this something that's the other side of this now that I think you and I are probably going to take a look at or keep an eye on who, who do you get to come in mm-hmm. to this position to coach this team? Um, That was part of the question mark around the team last year and the departure of Mark Parsons. And that was a little different in the sense where they had some time and some buildup to take a look at candidates. They knew that Parsons was eventually going to leave at the end of the season and move on to uh, an opportunity with the Netherlands national team. Now it's a little bit different. Uh, They've got a, a timeline. They've got a, a very specific kind of timeline in front of them um, and, you know, how they're going to fill this position or how soon, like, is this something that's going to be.
3: And the draft filled. is in a, a month. Sandra. Gonna say, is
2: this going to be, is this going to be a position that's going to be filled by the time the draft rolls around? If not, I mean, we saw uh, just for example's sake, we saw a team like the Chicago Red Stars have to navigate large chunk, really all of their off season without, uh, a head coach in, in that seat, in that position, that so much of the offseason for that club was without a Petrocelli, who did not join the team until mid-preseason uh, in February. So it's something it's something to keep in an eye. And I think in terms of this team, even with so much that has come out of this franchise. I don't know how you, from a soccer perspective, look at this team, look at the roster in front of you, and as a coach, not say, like, that's that's a team that I want to coach.
3: Yeah, I mean, even, like, there are not, like, millions of coaches to choose from. It, to come in and, and coach at this level uh, with the pedigree, understanding the league, because you you touched on Mark Parsons, who was with Portland Thorns for years and he left at the end of last year. He's already back in the NWSL with Washington Spirit. He he went to the Netherlands uh, and coached their national team for a, a handful of months and then is back in the NWSL. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not a bad team to go to. You look at Portland, this is, this is an incredibly talented team, a winning culture. Um, they've got a lot of great pieces into place and they're, they're yeah. trying to turn that page, right. Yeah. To start a new chapter with this club, um, mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of all the the bad stigma that came with it before all of the um, the coercion and and everything that had happened in 2021 with Paul Riley formerly coaching there and the owners and everything. And this is of course not on that level um, of of the coach resigning following an investigation where there was no wrongdoings said for the coach. But now it's kind of like, okay, who, who else do you bring in? for this role. Who else is going to step in? Um, it's not a hard sell to get someone to Portland, but what are the choices and who's going to make it there? And also you have about 30 days before the NWSL draft.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, (laughs) we'll see young, young group, uh, you know, ready to, I think, compete and sort of take those steps into this next era of Thornton soccer. Um, Raining double MVP and Sophia Smith, Morgan Weaver, right? Sam Coffey. I think that you look these are players that you look at and you say you want to build with them. Christine and continue. Sinclair?
3: Like even you have the veterans to help you a little bit and bridge that gap with Christine Sinclair, Becky Sauerbone on these rosters.
2: Yeah, and in in, a, in the midst of a World Cup year too, right? So there will be a lot of attention on uh, on the league for sure and in, in that sense. And you know, it's it's talking about this in a way where maybe we're trying to talk about these chronologically. Lucy thinks that she's going to coach somewhere again, but maybe has to sit out a while. Maybe, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's a wait and see approach that that we're taking on, on our end. But the, the Wilkinson resignation is something that's coming off of, news a big sort of news dump kind of week for for portland thorns and then maybe this is out of chronological order but it came that wilkinson resignation came after a a certain bit of news out of out of the thorns as well it was pretty pretty big news uh merritt paulson majority owner of both the portland timbers and the portland thorns uh he made the announcement that he's going to sell the portland thorns franchise not the timbers club and um sort of begin the next steps to try and find uh, the new owners uh, for this franchise. And this is something, this decision, I think, is something that has sort of been brewing, I think, for for a little while. I think public opinion around Paulson and Thorns specifically has not been good. Right. And there has been a pretty, pretty vocal contingent out there that believes, you know, Paulson shouldn't have anything, any affiliation with the club um, any longer. And a statement was was put out and he, he said that uh, he's going to go ahead and he believes it's in the best interest of the Thorns to have a new owner so the club can operate at the league level with a fresh voice and be a driving force for the NWSL. And uh, within that also said that uh, he's pledged a million dollars to establish a new player safety office at the league. Commissioner Berman just ultimately reiterating the collaborative efforts between the Thorns and the league uh, for new ownership, um, saying that she supports the decision to sell the Thorns and the commitment uh, to aid in a smooth transition for a new ownership group in Portland and a $1 contribution to the league. So um, a little bit of news within the announcement of the news that Paulson is going to sell the Thorns, that there's going to be a new NWSL player safety department as well.
3: Yeah, that is also huge. And this comes after um, it was early October, right, that that Merritt Paulson stepped down as the Thorns CEO, um, and now he's announcing that he's selling it. So this was kind of – Um, The the next step in this and really what people were waiting for you. you, They knew we stepped down that happened immediately following the Yates reports investigation results. And now the fact that that's going to happen. um, He's been in the NWSL as a founding owner since 2012, but because he was involved so heavily in in keeping quiet about Paul Riley and his wrongdoings um in coaching around the league and with the players, that is a, a major reason for this to happen. So this is it's also couples a little bit with the Rian Wilkinson news because in, in Rian Wilkinson's article with Meg and the athletic about stepping down and resigning, there was talks that the club was under too much stress to bring this to HR, that we couldn't let this go public. We couldn't make it a big deal because of everything that was happening in the ownership with Portland. But, um, I mean, you got to have good bones at a club, right? And I think that this is a great step in, in doing that. With Merritt Paulson saying, "I'm selling it," um, it was it has been in his family, right? His dad was an owner. He's a minority owner. Um, it's it's continuing to kind of trickle down, and uh, the sale of the Portland Thorns is going to be very, very interesting because we remember Washington Spirit. Last year sold for $35 million in a sale, which is fantastic. And that's a large sum of money for an NWSL club. And then we look at Portland Thorns and the type of club that this is with the pedigree. It's three trophies. It has the the partnership with the Timbers. Um, being in such a soccer city in Portland, Oregon, there's just... This also could have a really large price tag on it. Right. And and this would be a great club for someone to own. So I think that also kind of sets the standard and sets the bar really high for what the future of Portland Thorns want to be. But now it's finding an owner. Right. There's so many more steps to come from it. But the first thing was him announcing that he is going to sell it for sure.
2: Yeah. And there's uh, similar to the other news, all the other news that we've been chatting about this morning. I mean, there's a lot of layers to this as well. You know, even though there's uh, the there was the announcement about the decision to, yes, find new ownership for the Thorns. um, Still a lot of conversations and questions uh, about what that's going to look like. As Paulson said, I'm not selling the timbers, I'm only selling the thorns and how that dynamic will continue to exist in the future, because these are uh, unlike the spirit sale that we did a lot of covering of Mm. during the 2021 season. This is a little different. That's a, a club that just was an independent club on its own, on its own operating on its own legs. And then you've got a thorns team that kind of came up with a timber side. And this was two teams in two professional leagues Linked by you know training, uh, training schedules and 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 yeah. stadiums, t- facilities, t- etc. So uh,
3: ticket sales, game schedules, training yeah. schedules, at, right? Ticket scales, sales. There's so yeah. much else. The game day operations, like yeah. everything, goes into it.
2: Yeah. So it's gonna like like you said, it's it's uh it's gonna be something to to pay attention to and 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 see what that looks like uh, in, in the future uh, because there's no timeline on this. That's the other thing in, in this announcement that there's not a timeline to to have a new ownership group uh you know by the start of twenty twenty three, let's say. Um that's that wasn't listed within any of the the releases or the statements and it was placed in there, I think, on purpose because I think this is uh the type of sale that's gonna probably take some time. I think if you're trying to look and find um you know, the right owners for for this specific franchise. And it wasn't just Portland who uh, had an announcement in terms of potential, uh, you know, change at the majority uh, ownership stake level. The Chicago Red Stars uh, also in a similar position. Uh, additional reporting uh, by Sportico saying that Chicago Red Stars owner Arnim Whistler had hired a third party to help begin the next steps of selling his majority ownership stake, uh, had hired Inner Circle Sports and Investment Bank to go ahead and and help that process, that this was something that was uh, ultimately confirmed to Chicago Red Star's uh, shareholders uh, across, across the board. So you're talking just hours um, mm-hmm. after the initial Thorns announcement, Uh, by Paulson. And then there was the reporting on, on the Chicago uh, Red Stars side of things as well. So it's a little, it was a little bit of a pivot. Um, We're seeing sort of these, these, these next uh, steps uh, compared to October for, for both of these uh, franchises. You know, I think for Chicago, you had um, in October when all of the, the the Yates report was made public was a previously issued a statement saying that, Hey, I'm going to step away from decision-making within the organization and then the uh, Chicago Red Stars board said, actually, no, you're going to be removed and we're going to start, um, begin these, these conversations of, you know, removing and, and finding, uh, you know, new ownership. And, and now this is just sort of makes it official. It's, it yeah. sort of seems like we've been talking about next steps for these part two particular franchise and their ownership for, you know, a couple of months now, right. We're going October to November, and now here we are in December chatting about it. But similar to Paulson and the Thorns, there was no um, timeline that mm-hmm. was placed um, on this announcement as well. That There's no timeline in terms of what a sale of Whistler's majority shares is going to look like. So I think for, for me, and I think I'm sure many out there, what does that mean for these two franchises, right? So you've got two franchises who have been... Um, in headlines uh, across the last two years in NWSL uh, and then in October, the Yates Report, all over the Yates Report as well. Um, So what what does 2023 look like for these two franchises as there is no timeline for a new uh, new stake and new ownership to be found and sold to new groups? So um, I think that's something that uh, I think people are going to, continue to try to keep an eye on and take a look at uh, because I think we saw with the spirit uh, just to use that example, cause it's our most recent example that that, that wasn't something that happened overnight, that there mm-hmm. was a lot of back and forth uh, that took place with that. Um, and a number of parties making sure that they had their respective side heard and their piece was said. So um, this isn't something I anticipate is going to happen overnight. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we have another update on on either of, of these two franchises in terms of the process of uh, their decision to sell. Um, because the the framework is in place already, we know sort of the key dates that are going to happen mm-hmm. for NWSL in twenty twenty three. In terms of when preseason is going to start, when the regular season is going to kick off, right? We know the draft is going to happen on you know in in January. There's going to be the Challenge Cup within the regular season. There's a World Cup. Like there's all these things yeah. that are going to be happening in twenty twenty three. So I I would imagine that that's the reasoning to not have such a Uh, a a timestamp, a deadline, uh, on this type of, uh, process. But, um, what that looks like for both of these clubs in in the future, I think there's still some question marks around that.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of question marks, but, and, and you mentioned how, uh, the process is not going to happen overnight. Even you think about the Yates investigation and, and when that started, when those results were released early, early October, early days of October, um, Chicago players, Portland players making statements saying that they they want their owners to um, find find a new owner and to sell the team. So that happened in Chicago, October 10th. And now it comes uh, early December. So what nearly two months later is Arnim Whistler saying, yes, I'm actually am going to now sell this club because he was part of. Um, the problem ignoring or or minimizing complaints from players about coaches' behavior. And uh, the fact that I I touched on $35 million for Washington Spirit last year when it was sold to Michelle Kang. The number has been floated around $50 million figure for the Portland Thorns. Um, How does Chicago fall into that? And we talked about Portland and how they do have Uh, the Timbers and they have Providence Park and they have a lot there in Chicago. It looks a little bit different because they're not so associated with the Chicago fire and they have, they play in Seeky stadium, but how does that look moving forward? And it comes down a little bit of pressure on the nwsl board as to making sure you find an owner that is in line with everything that the league is in line with yes the the morals and the values and and growing the league but also there are new broadcast rights deals to be negotiated with in the upcoming year there is going to be two new expansion sides coming into the league in future years so how are they all on the same page right you don't Look to get an owner that's going to be there for three to five years. You want an owner that's going to be there for the long term, that wants to invest in the club, in the city, and in the league. So there are uh, big question marks around how this is going to happen. No timeline for this either, as as what's going on. But these are the first steps. Um, there are plans in place now and people in place now to keep things running. But yeah. We'll see. I- if people are
2: only listening to the podcast, I don't mean to smile because I think this is a funny or jokey situation, but it's just, we keep talking about this and I feel over the last two months, it's like, here's the next step. And then here's the next step. And then here's the other next step. And then here's the next step. And it's, it's like the last two months, it sort of felt like just sort of dipping your toes into the water to sort of oh, see yeah. what would be acceptable, by public opinion and it just was not working out i think for either of these um owners you know in terms of oh i'm gonna take a step back from decision making no that's oh i'm gonna take a step back from day to day no that's not enough oh i'm gonna, you know so it's like to sort of have these this sort of finally feels like that real actual next step yeah. It sort of feels right like- exactly here it is.
3: And and I think it's important, Lucy. Shout out to you and our, our chat joining us live on YouTube saying that Gotham has all those big names investors. And you look at Angel City, they have a number of big name investors. Gotham is doing the same thing. So that's also a direction that we could see um maybe Chicago go in to have a number of different investors, not just one put their name on it, but see who we can get because Chicago's a big city, right? There's a lot of people that would be interested in this uh, that could throw some dollar bills at this club and and see how they can advance it and accelerate the league. There are many different options to go for it. Uh, there are already people inv- interested in the sale of the Portland Thorns. Now it's Chicago as well and seeing how they can market these two different clubs in these cities.
2: Yeah, we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be tons to talk about as we keep our eyes on on what's going to happen with this process. But listen, that's just news in terms of what is going to impact these clubs right now during the offseason. There's still free agency that we have to talk about, Lisa. There's some movement that has finally happened, and we're excited to talk about it. We're going to take a quick break before we take a dive into that.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy...
4: Or a lot. to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
2: all right nwso free agency we've got some news we've got some movement We got to talk about some players who have recently announced their new clubs because the free agency list was nice and lengthy. There's a ton of players that were listed and that we've been talking about and wanting to keep an eye on. And we finally got some action across the board. And listen, it it started with Gotham. So, of course, it's going to stay with Gotham. Gotham really kind of setting the tone for free agency movement. Uh, in 2022 off season, uh, but also making uh, another announcement. They started with Kelly O'Hara and then they made the move for Abby Smith. And then all of a sudden they said, we're not done. Mm-hmm. Well, we went ahead and picked up Kristen Edmonds and signed her to a two year deal. The New Jersey native returning
3: home. Yeah, this is huge. A two year contract for Kristen Edmonds uh, coming out of Kansas city, a veteran, yeah a leader in every team that she goes to. Um, and this is a player that's also pretty versatile on the field, right? You look at this Gotham side and where some of the holes in their roster are, maybe in the midfield, maybe defensive midfield as well, um, kind of where they can spruce up. And Kristen Edmonds is a player that you can play higher up the pitch in midfield. She can play as an outside back role, a defensive mid role. She can also play as a wing back, right? Get, get in those miles up and down the sides of the pitch. So it, it kind of goes to show how Juan Carlos Somoros wants to play with this Gotham side, what he wants to do. But yeah, I mean, Gotham is bulking up, and I think this is huge. Um, Edmonds is one of the older veteran players in this league, 35 years old, but uh, she has – brings this energy to every team that she goes to. We had the pleasure of speaking with her at the start of last season with Kansas City about what they were doing during preseason, how they were going to make this year different. And they went all the way to the NWSL Championship. So she's got the experience. She's got the understanding of what it takes to turn a team around from last to first, like she did with Kansas City. Huge, huge, huge get for Gotham. I love this. I am just very curious to see where she'll fit in onto the pitch and and kind of what role she will play um, during those games. And and of course, we won't know that such early days preseason hasn't even started yet. No talks of that. But of course, I'm already looking at rosters, understanding formations, what's going to happen where because this is one that I'm really, really excited to see how Edmonds fits in.
2: That's look, that's what we got to do here. We got to think about it like that in the long term or in the, in the near future and what that's going to look like for that team. Look, we were already chatting about it off mic again, when that news dropped, we were messaging each other. We're like, how's this going to work? Like, what's that going to look like? My, listen, you're my witness, Lisa, because you were the one I was texting about it. My, my very first thought was like, well, how, if you're, if the goal is to maybe slot Edmonds along that back line somewhere, What is that going to look like? What is that going to mean? Are they going to bring back somebody like Estelle Johnson? Is that going to be too crowded? And look what happened. There's more news out of Gotham this time. Estelle Johnson utilizing her free agency and making a move to North Carolina Courage. She is joining the Courage on a guaranteed contract. And we're going to see some new looks on that back line for the Courage. Listen, this is a team that struggled, I think, in this first half of the regular season of 2022, I think defensively they were still trying to work some things out. Obviously, they made that push in the second half of the season to try to keep things interesting in the playoff picture. A lot of that coming out of the fact that they had some really good offensive and attacking pieces. But what is that back line going to look like in 2022? And maybe this is one of those first pieces for them.
3: Yeah, I think this is also so huge um, for North Carolina to pick up a player like Estelle Johnson. She uh, dealt with some injuries last year, so it, it's kind of how she can manage that moving forward. But this is a North Carolina side that knows how to win and to to kind of buckle down their back line with a player like Johnson is going to be huge, huge for them. Um, finally, like we're getting some moves out of Gotham, right? We were like, Gotham is just stacking it up. <laughs> what else is going to happen? I mean, I, I like to think that that we really pushed the league last week when we were like, we are just waiting for free agency trades to happen, and then bam, bam, bam. They all happened because um, I, I love this trade for Estelle Johnson. I think that she could get good minutes in North Carolina, some play, play some good times there, uh, really contribute to their back line, and get North Carolina back in, in the upper half of the table. Right, This was a team that had – a roller coaster of a year last year, winning the challenge cup early in 2022, and then finishing the bottom half of the table at the end of the regular season. So defensively, you've got to shore things up. And this is a great way to do it, getting Johnson.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was cool to sort of see these movements, you know, these, these, These signings get announced because we were like, oh, yes, finally, this feels like what, you know, we wanted free agency to feel like we wanted to see, um, you know, players, you know, make those decisions for themselves and make say, you know, make the leap to a new team, because that kind of shows that, you know, in terms of this free, this first ever free agency period there's a real responsibility on franchises out there to make sure that they're putting together a good pitch to to these players because these aren't these are players some of them have played a full decade in this league, right? Some of them have played eight, seven, six, at least six years minimum of service in this league. So they have heard it, seen it, felt it all. So it is absolutely on the clubs to make sure that when they are in, you know, the same room or on the phone or on a zoom, whatever, making these pitches to these players that, um, you know, it's, it's the, op- it's going to be on the player to to ultimately, get to make that decision for what's what's best for them so it it was cool to sort of see free agency kick off the way that it did but then it kind of tapered off a little bit and we sort of saw um, you know players kind of making those negotiations with their current clubs and and kind of accepting those those contract you know those extended offers they said okay we're going to accept that we saw Yuki Nagasato and Aaron Wright uh, still sign back with Chicago we saw Mackenzie Doniak is going to still stay in San Diego with the Wave and Angel City finally making it official with Jasmine Spencer as well, saying, "Hey, we're gonna, you know, keep this player in Angel City uh, as well." But let's listen. We're talking about the West Coast teams because they weren't done uh, making, uh, you know, some noise. San Diego Wave signing up not one but two free agents. They welcomed Rachel Hill and Danny Colaprico to San Diego Wave, and listen, I think those are great pickups for for this team moving forward.
3: Oh, my gosh. These are incredible, incredible pickups. You look at Rachel Hill, a former forward with Chicago Red Stars. Um, This is a player that took the long and hard road, right, to get to the top and starting games and playing consistent minutes, and she fought really hard for that. It, it It did not come easy, and it never does for these players. But this is one that finally made her name known as a, a namestay in Chicago about what, what she could do, how she can contribute on the pitch. Uh, she's a, a great forward that learned a lot playing in front of players like Danny Colaprico, Vanessa Bernardo, alongside Mallory Pugh up top, um, even Mackenzie Doniak, right? The, the formal Chicago player. So this is um, a great get for San Diego to, to pick up a player like Rachel Hill, a two-year contract through 2024. And then Danielle Colaprico this is a lockdown midfielder that you know exactly what you're going to get day in and day out. The consistency is unmatched by any other player in the league by Danielle Colaprico. This is a really, really big get. Um, Two year contract through 2024. She's a veteran with eight years of experience. All of them at Chicago as well, which I think is a really good shakeup for Danny and and what she can do now heading to the West Coast with a San Diego Wave team that broke records in attendance throughout the playoffs, making it through the playoffs, hosting a playoff game, winning a playoff game. This is a team that knows what they want. They know how to win. And and they're doing that by grabbing up some of these incredible, incredible players. Um, it's really, really huge for San Diego. And on the flip side of it, this is a huge, huge loss for the Chicago Red Stars. This is massive because Chicago Red Stars came out and made an announcement that they would not be re-signing Rachel Hill, Danny Colaprico, um, Morgan Gatroll That was all in, in one announcement. And when that came out, it was like wow, these are going to be holes that Chicago needs to fill. you look at Morgan Gattrall and you look at Danny Colaprico? Those are midfielders that have played so consistently and For how many years at that club together, just uh, really helping to shape the identity of Chicago and what they were going to do on the pitch, leading them to year after year after year after year, a consistent record of getting into the postseason, uh, making it to the NWSL championship in 2021. It was all because of players like that. So it's a bit of a rebuild now. For chicago and yeah I would, I would argue that it's been a rebuild for well, a yeah of years now but now you know? but this is their midfield midfield is is part of your team that maybe you look to establish first right or you yeah. get that striker and then you build around and now that they have lost their midfield that's a huge spot to rebuild and that doesn't happen overnight
2: listen i think that the wave um and, you know, with head coach Casey Stoney, I think her immediate adaptability into coaching into the NWSL, just sort of observing, uh, absorbing everything and sort of when that final whistle happened, like, Kind of pull the plug on in the postseason on the rest on their entire 2022. Uh, I think she immediately was like, We've got work to do in this offseason to try to ensure that we make good moves to remain competitive, right? Because they've already set the state, they set a the bar for themselves as a franchise, as a club, getting in here in their inaugural season and going and making a run all the way to the semifinals. So, what is that going to look like in 2023 for the Wave? How are they going to try to keep Excel on the pitch, and a big part of that is making sure that you're getting players who can not only fit into your system, uh, but be able to take it to that next level for you. And I think in getting these types of players, whether it's a Rachel Hill who has really shown during her uh, later time in Chicago that she is one of the more versatile players in the league, sort of uh, you know starting as, as as a forward option with with Orlando to really being utilized as sort of as a wingback with the red stars. And then you have somebody like Danny Colabrico, who is an experienced midfielder in this league. And I think that was one of the things when we saw with the wave is they were putting together the roster. We were like, who is going to take care of things in, in the midfield for them? And they didn't really have that type of presence and that's going to change. This is that's what this type of signing is is for for the wave. You listen, you're you're talking to Sandra, okay? You don't, I know what Danny Colaprigo is going to do for uh, another team's midfield. This is that's how good of a player Colaprigo is that you can take this player, insert them into a new team and a different type of system, and it will automatically unlock some things or answer some questions that they may have had about themselves on the team. I think they're going to not look completely different, but I think they're gonna look a little bit more stable, a little bit more calm at times as they have somebody yeah. like Col- Colaprico in the middle, someone who can possess, someone who can, you know, win balls. So um I think it's a great signing. I think in terms of, you know, we'll probably look back on this free agency period and maybe throw out some grades, but as of right now, this is absolutely a home run. A it, is, wave.
3: it totally is. And for Casey Stoney, I know you talked about how, how well she's doing adjusting and, and gathering information and gathering players that'll work well and in her system. And we're heading into a world cup here and you have to look at that as a coach and kind of say, how do I get um, some depth on my bench that doesn't hurt the players that aren't starting all the time, but only helps them when the World Cup is coming. And, and a player like Danny Colaprico that can slot into the midfield from day one and be that anchor, be that leader that you need, because now it kind of ties things together. You you look at the bookends for San Diego. Uh, they have Kaylin Sheridan, Canadian goalkeeper. She's going to be gone. You've got Alex Morgan up top. She's yes. going to be gone. So now it adds so much more stability in the midfield, right? And, and that's what Danny Colaprico does. Huge. This is so huge for San Diego. Oh, yeah.
2: We're talking about teams who are, you know, perhaps trying to build their spines. Right. And we're starting to see some things out of God. We're starting to see some things out of the wave. I think it's a a massive, massive save for them. I think when I saw, you know, and, and I think it's I think it's probably the signing. It's the one signing I think we've gotten so far right now in this free agency period that says a little bit more than it. Really does just on the pitch. Yes, it says a whole lot about what it's you know what San Diego is trying to do and what they want to do on the pitch, but it also says a lot, uh, you know, for for the league off of the pitch as well. That was my main reaction to this. I said, my I think I said something randomly on my Twitter, and I was like, you know, my favorite part of a signing like this is that it came out of free agency. That this is a type of signing that shows what free agency can be and what it could look like and what it can mean to players in the league. This wasn't a trade that took place where, you know, a club could sort of spin a narrative on it and say, Hey, look at what we did for this player. We, we did this to, to accommodate them. Right. It doesn't, it removes that. But what it does instead is it ensures that a long time player like Colaprico can not only get a fresh start, but get a new contract. Right. And not just go to any team, but another team that's essentially a a contender, right. A, a, a competitors so I think that's that was one of the other really exciting parts for me about assigning like this and, and I would anticipate that we're going to get get more of those because there were uh, a number of free agents on this free agent list uh that we knew probably were not going to return to their former clubs and I think when you look club by club by club you see the red stars. And they had a ton of free agents. I believe they had seven, yeah. most of like any other team. So there was, there's just no way uh, y- this franchise was going to ensure that all seven of these players were going to return uh, because free agency is different than just sort of negotiating with a player outside of uh, something that has never existed in the league before uh, this, this off season free agency period. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where some of the other midfielders land because, you know, the team has already putting out announced has put out announcement that that certain players would not, you know, uh, return to the Red Stars, whether it was a Colaprico or a Morgan Gatra. So that's the next move. Like what midfield out there is going to try to ensure that they're going to bulk up, uh, you know, their middle third of the pitch. And I think. When you're looking at all of these midfielders out of Chicago, any one of them could sort of slot in and change and unlock some things for uh, certain clubs in 2023, whether that's a Catra or whether that's a Bernardo, We'll see. I think you look at somebody like a Bernardo, who came off of this fantastic season in 2022 and showed everybody, listen, you can put me anywhere in the middle third because I navigated the majority of 2022 as a six, which is not something that we had seen from, uh, you know, Bernardo too much in her career. She's typically higher up the pitch. So I think not only do you have really, really good, veteran experienced midfielders coming out of the red stars. These are players that you could sort of play in those six roles or in those dual pivots and players that you could put across that middle third. Like I said, Mm -hmm. as soon as you, as soon as you sign a player like that, it's absolutely going to be a game changer for some of these teams.
3: Exactly. And these are players that have been with Chicago their whole careers. Most Mm -hmm. of them, Vanessa DiBernardo, right? She was drafted in 2014 directly to Chicago. You look at Danny Colaprico drafted in 2015, like Went to Chicago, then these are players that also know how to build a winning culture um, where they are and, and and establish themselves. So the fact that they have announced and the club has announced that they're not resigning, um, I think is huge. And that's like you said, it speaks to the free agency of it, because these are players that probably could have stayed. In Chicago, if they wanted to, especially Di Bernardo, right? She's a, a Naperville, Chicago native. So she's from there and she played her whole professional career there. So this is huge for her about picking her destiny. I mean, when we talked to Jill Loyden last week about this and we asked our former professional player, U.S. women's national team goalkeeper, about how important this is, she said, not only do these players get to pick where they want to live, right, in the country, but who they want to work with, what coaches they like, what uh, t- formations they like, what teams are going to be most conducive to them. And this is a direct result of that with the free agency.
2: Yeah, 100 percent. I think, uh, listen, we saw with the arrival of the two California teams uh, and that expansion uh, draft that we saw in 2021's offseason listen these were two teams that players were absolutely interested in fielding calls from and having those conversations about making mutual moves between two clubs to get players to california so of course it absolutely showed us that these are franchises and destinations where players would wouldn't mind going to or playing for or being a part of but what i think what free agency is is continuing to show is that uh, it's 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 shining light on the fact that there are clubs who are going to have to do the work to ensure that their franchise is a place that players want to play in and want to be a part of. So it's, it's showing us where players want to go and it's definitely showing us where players do not want to be at this moment. And I think, uh, yeah, is, is it a hard question? Is it a hard reality? But that's what it is right now. So the Red Stars are going to have to try to do their due diligence to, to ensure that they, they change that for, for themselves. So, you know, I think getting, uh, an Aaron, Wright, getting a Yuki Nagasato, I think is, is a, a couple good steps for them in this free agency period. But this is a team that has struggled to, um, you know, really attract, uh, you know, certain talents or, or big names uh, for the last couple of uh, mm-hmm. seasons. And it looks like it might continue in the near future as well. So it's something we'll keep an eye on. Free agency is not over. I'm sure we're going to get some more news and player movement to talk about. But look, before we close out, we absolutely got to show some love to the NCAA Division One National Champions UCLA. Hey, we had a great preview episode. Shout out to Joe Lorden for joining us talking about the college cup. It ended up being UCLA taking on North Carolina and carry and C A Wigmitt Soccer Plex. What a game. Came from oh,
3: behind. Yeah. Massive. This was amazing. I mean, the semifinals were also fantastic. Um, watching that these two teams play because initially it was UCLA against Alabama, the debutants, and UCLA dominates 3-0. They shut out Alabama, and then UNC taking down the reigning NW or N. CAA national champions Florida State University three to two there were goals galore in that match so uh, because the two winners ended up scoring three and three in those semifinals I was like great we're gonna get some fantastic action in this championship we go through the first 45 minutes and it's zero zero we're tied at nil at halftime between UNC And UCLA, uh, but it was not due to lack of action. There was some incredible saves throughout this match. There was some really great opportunities, some great moments from these players. Ultimately, UCLA coming away with the win, but it was a a long game for UCLA to come into this one because 0-0 at halftime. UNC ends up getting two goals in the second half, so they're up. North Carolina is winning 2-0 at this point. They've got the They've got this in the bag. They're ready to go. 80th minute hits. You think, all right, 10 minutes left of this match. Let's get the confetti going. We'll get the T-shirts out and ready to rock and roll. And before you know it, UCLA gets one back. It's now 2-1 around the 80th minute, just after the 80th minute. We come down to 30 seconds left in this game. UCLA gets a corner kick. I believe there was 16 seconds left on the clock. And Riley Turner for UCLA equalizes with a header goal on the corner kick. So, of course, we're headed into overtime. We're in the midst of the World Cup where we just saw overtimes happening in the round of 16, penalty kicks. We're like, let's just finish this game in regulation. That's all I was thinking. Come on, someone get a goal so we don't go to penalty kicks. And at the end of the second overtime, UNC gets an incredible opportunity. UCLA ends up saving it. Off the goal line at this point, Um, that was incredible. With three minutes left in overtime, Reyes gets the game-winning goal. Uh, Incredible, incredible for her. It was gritty. It was well-fought. This game had a little bit of everything. I loved it.
2: Oh, no. I loved it. Absolute scenes. Um, I loved seeing Reyes get that moment, you know, not just for herself, but obviously with her teammates, and you could see how much it meant you know, for her personally. Experience. Yeah, and 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 her and what it means, you know, for her and in, in her journey, right, as a, as a collegiate player and what that could mean for her and in, in the next phase of of her career. Um, you know, has already represented Mexico on the international stage, and um, it was just really nice to see. I think for for me, on a personal note, you love to see it, love to see the success of of, of young players, and um, you know, I'm always going to be be rooting for. For you know anybody who's got the responsibility of both representing at the collegiate game or uh, in a professional league, and who's also representing on the uh, you know Mexican national team, so uh, sure. I'm with it, and uh, it was really really great to to see. Well, I was unprepared for for the emotion, but I'm glad <laughs> we got to see it anyway. It was really really really, really nice.
3: How how could you be so unprepared for that? Because it's like, I mean, uh, it was beautiful to see, right? Like Reyes ends up getting the game-winning goal. Uh, Her team wins the national championship. She is a senior. That was her last kick of her collegiate career. And it ends up being the game-winning goal for her. And, And that moment makes me come to tears because how special is that for her? Um, This was also the very first time a team had ever come back from a two goal deficit to win the national championship. And it was just the second time the Bruins had even seen a two score deficit this season. Fantastic for them. Fantastic for their head coach in her very first season. um, uh, Marguerite as Awazaza, excuse me, Marguerite Awazaza, fantastic for her coming from Stanford and, and taking over UCLA, taking them to the the college cup and winning it all. It it gets me so jazzed up. I love college football.
2: <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll revisit. Right. Next year, when we all go through this again and see if we uh, get some new teams and in, involved in the, in the mix or if UCLA goes on on a repeat, uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And uh, we just want to congratulate uh, Dana Matheson and Christine Sinclair. Uh, they had a, an appearance on CBC's The National on Monday night uh, to make an announcement that a new domestic professional women's league will arrive in canada in april of 2025 so not a ton of details at this moment it is still an unnamed league that uh, will uh, feature eight teams i believe is the goal vancouver whitecaps and calgary football soccer club are already the two teams who are uh, have committed uh, to you know having teams in, in in this league but uh uh, the goal, I think, is to sort of take uh, f- the footprint or blueprint of, of NW Island and then try to make something come to life um, in Canada. Supposedly, there's going to be at least one Canadian uh, women's national team member on each team. Um, and it's really cool to sort of see somebody like uh, Matheson, who uh, was such a staple for. Canada's women's national team and in NWSL for for such a long time. But the league is being built by Matheson and her business partners at Project 8 Sports. And uh, Christine Sinclair is on board as well, but as an official advisor. So um, still some more things to come down the pipeline for that, I'm sure, but very cool to see.
3: Yeah, this is huge. I mean, we speak with so many Canadians and internationals about why they don't have a women's professional league domestically in Canada. So this is, this is really huge for them. Of course, we're still a couple of years out from that. I know Quinn who currently plays for OL rain and and Canadian national was like, what, I got to wait. I can't retire yet. (laughs) Uh, Saying that um, they put out a statement on their Twitter saying that like, what i can't retire yet i gotta wait for this to come around so i can play at home it's huge uh the goal i believe is for them to bring over half of the 100 canadians that are currently playing abroad there's a lot of them in the nwsl a lot of them overseas in europe um playing all over the world so this is fantastic i mean even like you think about nwsl getting a a team in la and kirsten press and so many of those players saying wow i get to play at home this is like these players can't even play in their country for domestic. Like, this is fantastic to see grow the game, keep it going. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be cool. I think the idea of having at
2: least one uh, Canadian player on each team would be huge. I mean, how cool would it be to, be to have somebody like Quinn be the face of, of a particular franchise and sort mm-hmm. of have their their name and, and their face all, all over it and sort of be the, the player that whichever of the eight teams wants to to build around, right? So uh, we'll see. I, I guess they still have to – like. unnamed they still need to come up with a name we still need to see like the division and and if it's semi-professional fully professional right see all those knows that
3: the name is like one of the hardest parts of this and i know that maybe there was like some talks or some some rumors fans were saying hey like do something like uh, american other professional sports do and let's get one or two teams in canada that just join the american league Uh, it now becomes north american league but no this is so much better Canada deserves their own own league. They have enough players, they have enough fans. Uh okay. let's make it happen. I'm I'm thrilled for them. Same Thanks, everybody, for listening
2: to Attacking Third. That's all we got for you right now. Hefty episode, but listen, we had to make sure that you got all the news and all the reaction. Download, follow, listen to us anywhere you get your podcast. You could watch us too. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get alerts whenever we do go live. Youtube.com slash Attacking Third. Reminder if you have questions for us, you can go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star review with your question, and we will answer it. We'll be back with so much more for Sandra and Lisa Roman. This was Attacking Third.